Father God, we, we thank you for, for your words and the power of your word, Lord. Father, this morning I thank you for an opportunity to, to just share the message this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. We ask that you will come and have your way. We ask that you would come and illuminate the word of God to us. We ask that you would explore every area of our hearts, that you would excite us from within, from our inner person, to the things of God, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would strengthen us, Lord. Father, that our desire for your kingdom, our desire for the purposes of your kingdom, Lord, will continue to grow in our hearts and in this church and for this city, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do this morning, Lord. Father, I bring myself before you and I ask, Lord, that you would make me your mouthpiece, that you would speak through me, that you would speak your word, that you would give me the ability to download what is on your hearts, to speak that which you'd want me to, to share this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I preached um, on discipleship and basically what I covered in that message was I did the profile mainly, you know, of, um, I did an overview of discipleship and also looked at the profile of uh, a discipler and uh, so that was a couple of weeks ago. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to continue with the whole, um, with the topic on discipleship, but specifically on rebuilding the walls of our city. On rebuilding the walls of our city. How many of you are excited to be in Johannesburg? How many of you would rather live in a city than in a village somewhere out there, in the bush, you know, and, uh, you know, just a, you know, small Nothing much happening. How many of you would rather be in a city? Yeah? 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 Yeah, we're all here, right? And the thing is, you find that generally, like young people, young professionals, young people, they love being in the city because the impression or the perception is that that is where life is. That is where it all happens or is supposed to, to happen. So we're going to be looking at rebuilding the walls of our city. And then what I will do um, in, the, in the time to come in another message, I'll look at the impact of prayer when it comes to rebuilding the walls of our city. So what I'll do today is I'll just provide an overview on the whole um, topic of rebuilding uh, the walls of our city. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go, we're going to read a very interesting passage of scripture in the Bible. And this is Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is where we're going to, to start to start from. Now the background here is that the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon. So basically what happened was that when they were taken into captivity, the elites were the ones taken to Babylon. And then those who didn't make it into the group, the so-called group of the elite, generally they became refugees in places like, like Egypt. And so these people, these Israelites, had been in, in, uh, in Babylon for many years now, in captivity, taken away from their city, which was Jerusalem. And then during this time, what happens is that they hear that there's a letter that's come to them from Jerusalem, from the prophet Jeremiah. A letter was sent to these captives in Babylon by Jeremiah, the prophet. So this is where we, we pick up the story from. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, to the prophets, and all people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent 
by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shapman, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So that was, that was basically um, the, uh, what was taking place. A letter coming from Jeremiah going to the people of um, um, Israel who were in, in Babylon. And we need to understand here, you can imagine that these people were a traumatized people. If you live in captivity and you've been in captivity for many years, when you once tasted what freedom was, when you knew what it means to live in freedom, when you knew, understood what it means to live in a place like Jerusalem, where you could worship freely, where you could, you could go to the, to, the, to the temple, where you, you could praise your Lord, you you could express that expression of worship in an unrestricted manner, but suddenly, for many years now, you're in a place of captivity. It means your whole livelihood has changed, not so. Some of them had even lost their loved ones. Some of them had lost their homes. They'd lost their cattle. They'd lost their, um, their wealth. They'd lost their beloved city, their language, their culture, in addition to the familiar expression of their religion that was connected to the, to the temple. I'm reminded of Psalm um, 137. You might, you might remember, then this is what it says. And this was the, the, the context, the background. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. Isn't this such a sad story? We sat by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and we wept and we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there were those who carried us captive and asked us for a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Imagine what kind of an insult this was. You're in captivity, and then your captors are saying, yeah, you guys, we know you're the type of people who'd worship your God, you'd praise your known for the praise you'd lift up to your God. Why don't you sing us a new song? And the reply here was like, how can you make us, ask us to sing a song, a new song, when we're in captivity? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It goes on to say, I love what it says in, in verse 5. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the root of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember. And then it just goes on to continue, just showing us how much these people mourned when they were in the place of captivity in Babylon. And so in that context, can you imagine, in that context, they then receive a note. They then hear that, you know what, there's a letter that's come to you from the prophet Jeremiah. What do you think was going on in their minds? What do you think was going on in their minds? Maybe for some of them, they were thinking, oh, what? Because they knew that Jeremiah was a renowned prophet. They knew that Jeremiah was one known to actually speak the word of God unadulterated. They trusted in his word. They knew when Jeremiah spoke, he spoke the oracles of God. So suddenly, against this backdrop, they now were expectant that, hey, God is now saying something to us. Could it be that our days of captivity are over? Could it be that God, just like he heard the, the voices and the cries of our forefathers when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh and came to deliver them, could it be that this is also our time of deliverance? Could it be that this is our day of freedom? Is this the time of the end of our captivity? Maybe in the letter we're going to be told that in a few weeks' time you're going back to Jerusalem. Could it be that the judgment of the Lord on Babylon has finally come. And I'm sure when they were gathered together, when they were told, guys, come, gather together, for we're going to read this letter in your presence, I'm sure there was much excitement, much um, ex expectancy, not so. And then it continues in verse 4. And this is what the letter said. That says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, 
whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. I'm sure by the time that first sentence was read out, build houses and dwell in them, those who had expected to return to Jerusalem, their hopes were dampened. Because the moment you start building a house, and not only building a house, but dwelling in it, it means that, well, you're probably going to be there for a, a much longer period than expected. And then God goes on to say in the letter, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and your daughters and give daughters to, your, to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. So basically God was saying, you know what? You are in captivity. I know you are in captivity. But you know what? I got a different plan. You are there to stay at least for now. He goes on to say, and seek the peace of the city where I've carried cause to be, you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have your peace. How many of you have been in a place, you know, of captivity, or maybe you're expecting some kind of a breakthrough? Maybe you're expecting like this radical word from God that will change your life, that will change your situation for the better. How many of you have been in such a place, and then on the contrary, something else, you know, totally different to, to happen? And this was absolutely the scenario with the Israelites who were in Babylon. God basically said, even for that city, for that place I've caused you to be in captivity, I now ask you to pray for it. I now ask you to actually lift up your voices in prayer for it. For in its peace is your peace. And what we see there is that God was saying we need to return to some kind of normalcy. And so yet... For the Israelites, it was not their time for freedom yet. They had been encouraged to now just build a life and stay and live in Babylon until the time for, for their departure had, had come. I remember being in a, in a situation where, how many of you, like, it's, 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 it's within, you know, your default nature is to pray for, for Jobuk. You know, like you wake up and you're like, I cannot wait to pray for Jobek today. I cannot wait for, you know, to pray for the city today. How many of you find that in your default nature? Or it's something that you really have to psych up and say, oh yeah, you know, the Bible, you know, encourages us to pray for our leaders and, you know, and, and even like these uh, Israelites in Babylon were encouraged to pray for, for the city they were in. Maybe we should also be praying for the city of Jobek. But how many of you can honestly say, you know what, it is my natural inclination to pray for my city? How many of you find yourselves in that place? No. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's not something that we, we naturally, you know, want, want to do. We know we're supposed to be doing it, and maybe it explains the state of our cities today. It explains why we don't see more of Jesus in our cities today. Maybe it explains why we don't see the purposes and plans of God come to fruition efficiently and speedily in our cities today, you know, because maybe we haven't prayed as much as, as, as we should. And not only is it for our cities, it's also maybe for our businesses, maybe for our, for our, for, for our workplaces. I remember when uh, a couple of years ago, about maybe four years ago, what happened in our organization was that there was a, a, quite a big shift in terms of our group exco. And, uh, and it was a sudden shift. You know, like when, you know, there's this, you, as, as staff, you receive this, unexpected message that a particular group managing exec was, was leaving, you know, was leaving the bank and um, very influential at the time and it was in the, in the midst of a big strategy. Do you know what I mean? So it was one of those um, uh, unexpected announcements in the, in, in, the, in the organization. And what had happened was that a further restructure had happened at, at group level. And so uh, this particular exec was now moving to our parent company. 
And so, I mean, there was just upheaval, almost, you know, there was havoc, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the organization. I remember that day, it was a Thursday morning. The announcement came through at about nine in the morning. And I remember everybody not being able to work. We're just talking, so what's gonna happen? What does this mean for us? And so it was a, it was a, a very uncertain um, season for the bank. Then the following morning, I drove into work and I parked my car and sat in my car a little bit before I went upstairs to my, to my basement. And the Lord said to me, I want you to pray for this situation. I really felt in my spirit that God wanted me to pray for this, for this, for this situation. And at that time, he dropped this particular scripture, Jeremiah 29, in my spirit. And then he basically said to me, just like, just like I ordered, I commanded the Israelites to pray for the place they were in, for in its peace was their peace. And then the Lord just said to me, the very same for you, for the stability of this organization to suffice in this season, I need people to pray, and you're one of them I'm going to ask to pray. And I'm thinking, the Lord, this is a big organization. It's like 32,000 staff, you know. Honestly, you can find someone else. But basically, what God was saying was that even for our organizations, sometimes, if not always, we also need to pray for situations that impact the purpose and direction of those particular organizations. And I want to encourage you where you work, I want to encourage you, even in your business, to not stop praying for your, um, for your organization, even if you don't feel like it. Even if you feel like, you know, and I don't think my boss treats me the way they should treat me. I don't think they're even paying me, you know, what is, what I should be, what I'm really worth. But as Christians, as responsible um, Christians, we need to be, to be praying. And so when I read that, that letter to, to the Israelites from Jeremiah, I thought about it in our job and context. You know, it's one thing for us to say, well, we've got a church, we're running a church in Fairland in some corner in, in, in Joburg. But when we look at, as Christians, I want to encourage us to look at the greater purposes of God for this church and for the city. And so when I thought about us as a new church, a couple of months old, I said to myself, Lord, what does this mean for us in the context of our church? If, say, this letter were to be re rewritten, Jeremiah 29, what would it sound like? What would it read like to us? Maybe it would go something like this. I reconstructed it. A letter to go church, Josie. Now these were the words of Jesus Christ. The Son of God sent to Go Church Josie, sent to, to Martin, sent to Tso, sent to Justin, sent to Rufaro, sent to Isha, sent to Sunera, sent to uh, uh, Sean, sent to Vimbaim, to those who left Centurion to plant a church in Fairland. Okay? Are they, are they here? And then to make sure everybody's included, to those who joined this church, are they here? You live in Joburg, Johannesburg, Egoli, the largest city in South Africa, the 50th largest urban area in the world. Do you get that? You see the impact of this, of this city. The provincial capital of Gauteng, the wealthiest province of South Africa, that's where we reside, guys. That's where we've planted a church. That's where God, in our context for this season, wants to see his purposes move. Take dominion in this city. Fearlessly spread the good news of Christ. Subdue it. Make disciples of this city. Be concerned over its welfare. How many of you wake up each day and say, you know what, I just didn't sleep properly. You know, I just, I just, I just couldn't fall asleep. I just had this dispeace in my heart because I was concerned over the welfare of this city. How many of you ever do that? Be concerned over the welfare of this city. Pray for its power centers. Watch and pray. Wage war over it. Wrestle in the spirit and the natural until the kingdom of God, until kingdom culture reigns in every sphere of its life. 
One of the things we were talking about on Friday was just the power of dominion. And when God asks us to take dominion in a place or in a situation, he's basically wanting his rule and reign to actually be dominant in that, in that place. Take dominion in, that, in, this, in this city. Buy property, build businesses, infiltrate every domain. For as it prospers, so will you. In its peace is your peace. You know, sometimes we may not like the national government, or we may not the city, we may not even like, you know, or feel that the city uh, fathers are doing what they should be doing in this, in this nation. But the problem is that unless we pray and we're responsible enough to rise up and rise in prayer, you know, we will, we will reap, you know, in terms of the, the, where the, the, the city goes. The Bible says in its peace is your peace. Do not be disheartened nor despise the day of small beginnings. Sometimes you look at us and you think, you know, what will a group of less than 20 people really do in this city? What will our impact be? But if I were to reconstruct that letter, I would say, do not be disheartened, nor despise the day of small beginnings. I will fulfill my word over this city. I will see to an end the work that I've begun through you in this city. Increase in numbers and influence and do not diminish. Have a multi-generational vision for it. I don't know what the average age in this place is. Okay, but for those of you, you know, who go to gym, who eat healthily, shall we say you probably still have another 60 years generously, okay? 60 years max, maybe, all right? And for, you know, for, so maybe on, on average, you know, if we're to be very generous around that. But we're not going to live forever. But your kids will outlive you. Our children will outlive us. And so when we come and speak, when we come and plant a church in a city, when we come and desire God's purposes for this nation and for this city, and when we say we need to take dominion over this city, we're saying we're doing that not only for us, but for the generations to come, for our children. There are certain things that if we don't fight and eradicate in this generation, it'll be our children's problems they will have to deal with those particular issues. And then it continues in that chapter, in verse 8, God's still speaking to the Israelites. He says, For that says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst de deceive you. It's interesting to see that, get, that even during that time, just as there were false prophets, even in our day, we still have false prophets. Need I say more after the series that was concluded last year? Now listen to your dreams which you have caused to, be caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I've not sent them, says the Lord. For that says the Lord, after 70 years are completed to Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And you see, this is the thing with God. I'm encouraged by the fact that even though he was encouraging these people and basically telling them you're still in Babylon for a while, maybe for your personal situation, you still feel like you're in some form of captivity, or you still feel like, hey, I'm not seeing my breakthrough. But here what God says is, you know what? When the time has come, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to Jerusalem. How many of you know that God has a good word for, uh, for, for Johannesburg? I'm encouraged by the way human, the human activity of surviving and starting to live again is actually framed by God's action of fulfilling his promises. I think for some of them, they must have thought, you know what, God has forgotten about his promise to us. Sometimes when you look at Joburg, when you look at our city, when you read, you know, what comes out in the media, when you hear what some of these politicians are saying, you know, sometimes you really ask yourself, does God remember this city at all? 
But we know and we're encouraged here because God says, my good word to you I will fulfill. And he goes on in verse seven to 11 to say, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, Johannesburg, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So irrespective of the shape of our captivity, irrespective of the shape or the state of our city, the hopelessless state of our city, God still has thoughts over Jobek. God still has thoughts of peace over the city and not of evil, thoughts of a future and a hope. And so when we go out there, we are that voice of hope. We are that voice of expectancy. We are the ones who should be speaking the word and the promises of God. We are the ones who should be encouraging the city. We are the ones who should be encouraging our colleagues and say, yes, it is what it is. But God still has a plan and a purpose for this city. In verse 12, it says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. I mean, what more, you know, what, what greater promise would you want? Would we want? Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. And I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you from your captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I'll bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. God's promises in a situation where there was, there was no hope at all. And I think that is the same message for us as we get ready to actually allow God to move fully in, in our church and fulfill his, his promises. So now, before we can think about or talk about rebuilding the walls of our city, there are certain important things that we need to understand. So for instance, we need to understand the significance of walls. Why are walls important? And if you look at the Bible, you find that a wall was a powerful symbol. Cities were fortified, so it didn't matter whether you had an army of thousands of soldiers or troops, but unless you were a strongly fortified city, you were not regarded as strong. That is why um, you, a, a strongly fortified um, city, you were not regarded as strong. That is why the Bible will talk about places like Babylon, and what they were known for, they were known for strong walls. That is why the Bible talks about the, the walls of Jericho. What we know about the, the walls of Jericho is that historians will tell you that that wall was so strong, known to be so strong, in fact, it was almost built like a double wall. And so when the, the children of Israelites circled it and finally brought it down, it was a big thing in that, in that generation and in that region. So walls were symbols of power. They were symbols of status. They were symbols of protection. If you wanted to know how strong a king and his kingdom were, you had to check out the, the walls of that city first. It's interesting that even in the Bible, like in Psalm 51, verse 18, David says, by your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was such a big thing because it represented power and status and strength. And hence, you see Nehemiah and, yeah, and his team really wanting to rebuild um, the walls of, of Jerusalem. So walls were a symbol of power, of status. They represented how strong or how weak a nation was. So when we talk about building and also walls, what they did was they determined to what extent you had protection around you. So they kept the enemy away. So today when we speak about rebuilding the walls of our city, we're basically talking about allowing God, allowing Jesus, allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to resurrect that which the enemy put down concerning this city. Amen. So that is why it is important for us to understand why it is, um, 
crucial for a wall or the walls of our city to be rebuilt. The first thing we need to understand is before you can rebuild the walls of a city, you need to understand the history of that city. Cities just didn't, you know, uh, develop overnight. But you find that especially with key cities around the world, whether in our generation or even historically, there was a reason why they came to be. And, 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 and Jobek is, is, is no exception. We need to put today's battles in the context, in the historical context. A study of history, the history of a city, can give us clues on God's purpose for the city. It can also talk to us about the evil, how the evil in that city gained entrance, what we can do about it today, how we should go about it. I was reading about Amsterdam, and basically, um, you'd find that it was, uh, it was very known for um, centuries-old tradition of hospitality and tolerance that marked the culture of, um, of Amsterdam in, in Netherlands. And Amsterdam is this genuine city of refuge, like world-famous Geneva or some of the cities of the Le Levites listed in the Old Testament. But here's the thing. Today, the city is known, some of you might know this, but Amsterdam today is known for tolerating drug sales, open drug sales, and legal prostitution. And this is plainly a perversion of the gift of its redemptive gift that God placed over that particular city. So it is possible for a city to be birthed in a good, in a good redemptive purpose, but then and the enemy can also take that away and pervert it for his own, own purposes. So in, for, for instance, Amsterdam needs a fresh picture of itself functioning in righteousness and identity rooted in the prophetic vision of the Christian community. What is the historical context of our city if we're going to be praying effectively for it, if we're going to be allowing God to advance his purposes in this nation? What do we know about Joburg? We know that it began as a 19th century gold mining settlement, yeah? Yeah? And that is why it is referred to as the city of gold. It was established as a small village controlled by a health committee in 1886 with the discovery of an outcrop of a gold reef on the farm in Langlate. The population of the city grew rapidly, becoming a municipality in 1897. In 1928, it became a city, making Joseph, uh, Johannesburg the largest city in South Africa. In 2002, it joined 10 other municipalities to form the city of Joburg Metropolitan Municipality. The first recorded discovery of gold on the Witzvotusrand was made by a guy called Jan Gerrit Bankers in 1884. Other farms became known around it as Langlate, Tefontaine, Dumfontaine, and Bramfontaine. And basically, what happened was the historical context of this city was it attracted a lot of migrant workers, not only from South Africa, but even from around, from around the region. I remember growing up, my mother had an uncle, you saw it was my great, great uncle, you know, who, who would talk about coming to Joburg like in the 1960s and, and working in, as, a, as a migrant worker. But I remember, I remember so vividly just the pride in his voice when he was talking about, hey, we were part of the group that went to South Africa, to Johannesburg, to work as migrant workers. They prided themselves in that, and it attracted a lot of migrant workers. But that historical context was all around working, was all around extracting gold, was all around creating wealth. And so the interesting thing is if you trace that, the impact of that historical contrast to what Jobek is today, it actually explains some of the things that we see in the, in the city and the culture that, it, that is prevalent in this, in this society. 
And so we need, before we can adequately and effectively rebuild the walls of this city, it is important for us to understand the historical context. How did Jobek come by? What was it that was taking place in this nation, in this particular city that attracted people to this city? And how does that impact the way the city and the way the people think this, in, this, in, this, um, in, this, in this generation? So number one, we need to understand the historical context of a city before we can re um, effectively rebuild it. Number two, we need to understand the personality of a city. Just like we all have different personalities, my personality is not the same as yours, it's not the same as your sons or your daughters, it's not the same as your husbands or your wives or your, your, your sibling. Cities in the same way have personalities. A city is a human institution, and like all institutions, it develops a personality that is greater than the sum of its parts. An astute observer can see that certain cities seem to embody a central dream, and there's usually both good and evil, an evil side to that dream. Each metropolis has unique characteristics when compared with other cities. Think of a city like New York, for example. What comes to mind when you think of New York? Even if you speak, you know, I had, a, I had, a, I had some family living in, in New York for a couple of years, and they will tell you the level, the hype, the level of activity, it is so fast-paced. Everybody is about making money in New York around the stocks. Everybody will tell you inevitably that they are there to make, to make, to make money. So it is known as a hub of trade and the center of world leadership. But it is more than that. It symbolizes a lifestyle dream. That is the personality of a city like, 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 like New York. The dream wealth and power draws people to New York, and they are seduced by the success fantasy for which New York has become a giant metaphor. Not so. Hey? And sometimes what happens as Christians is that when we think of, of cities, we, th we see, it, all we see is evil. All we see is evil. And we think, ah, oh, cities are so cursed that there's no hope. There's not, there shouldn't be even any reason why we should be praying for them. Yes, there might be places where evil resonates, you know, or flourishes or seemingly f flourishes, but that doesn't stop us from actually um, praying over those cities. So we need to put today's city, city battles, uh, we need to understand the context of um, um, the personality of, of a city itself if we're going to be able to effectively rebuild its walls according to the, to the word of God. I remember many years ago, I, um, I was part of a diplomatic cell, rather a cell group for diplomats. And... I don't know how I ended up being part of that group. I think it had more to do with where I lived, and it was probably the nearest cell group in terms of, in terms of location. But generally, 90% of the cell members in that particular cell group were, were diplomats. They were, you know, they, they were foreigners in there. In, 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 uh, this was in Zim. They were in Zim to represent their different trade missions. And here's what they, they, they all said and agreed on. They say that because they had lived in a number of cities, because of the nature of their work, you know how when you're a, a diplomat, you stay in a nation for a couple of years, and then when, after a, a, that, they then move you to another nation. So they had like reasonable and considerable experience in terms of living in different nations. And they all, I remember the one evening, they were talking about how whenever they would arrive into a city, it was almost that, they, they, could, they could pick up, because they were spiritually sensitive, being Christians, they would pick up the personality of the city, or they would pick up things around, around the city. Some of them were saying that it was so distinct and so strong that even as they landed at the national airports, it was almost like, yeah, in some cities they sensed the spirit of greed. In some cities they would sense like this, the, the spirit of lust. 
in some cities they'll just sense different, different things. And that talks to how cities are positioned and the fact that cities do have personalities, whether we recognize that or, or not. And they would say often that would impact, you know, for those of them who were, you know, um, I remember in that, in that a lot of them were, were, were intercessors and they would say it would impact on how they would pray for that, for that city. So if we are effectively going to rebuild the, the walls of Johannesburg, we need to understand what is the personality of the city of Joburg? What does it look like? What do we see as people who reside of it? What do we see as people who reside in the city? What can we say about the city? How about those who come into the city, whether to leave for a certain uh, period of time or whether to visit? What do they say about the city? And as I was thinking about that, we, we all can't deny that Jobek is, it's got this fast-paced, um, it, it, it's full of activity, fast-paced. It's about making money. Even students who study in, in small towns across the nation, they'll tell you, no, 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 after my degree, I want to go to Jobek because that's where my career will have a life. People from different countries across the continents want to come to Johannesburg. Center for learning and entertainment for all of Africa. Home of big corporates, some of them which are global companies. It embodies the dream of success. To make it in your business or career, there's this perception that you have to be in Joburg because that is where life happens. So the question is, do we understand what the personality of our city is, because unless we do, it will impact on how we pray or don't pray um, uh, for it. So it is important that we understand the historical context of the city that we're in. It is important that we understand the personality of the city. And the third thing is that it is important to understand the purpose of the city. Amen. Many Christians, you know, they, they, they often just don't think about, we never even think about what is the purpose of a city. Like, yeah, we kind of like understand we have to pray for it. You know, we have to desire to see the promises of God come to fruition in this, in this city. But if we stopped to ask, what actually is the purpose of this, of this city? Determining your city's redemptive gift is even more important than discerning the nature of evil principalities. Yes, evil principalities will have to be fought and dealt with, but we also need to know what is the purpose of the city that we're in. Principalities rule through perverting the gift of a city in the same way an individual's gift is turned to the enemy's use through sin. And we need to understand that the devil is not a creator. He does not originate anything and all he does is to pervert. And so sometimes the devil is so subtle in the way he works, he will make sure that he blinds us from understanding or receiving revelation on the purpose of our city so that we are impacted and we don't pray for it in the way we should. I was reading about Los Angeles, and um, there are two truths in tension when you think of Los Angeles. On one hand, it is a technical, technological power of Babel, polluting the world with its communications and entertainment industry. On the other hand, it is a city with a gift in communications. Los Angeles is a city blessed by God with certain resources that can either be perverted or converted. Even the name of the city speaks of its destiny, Los Angeles, in Spanish, which means the angels. Could it be that God wants such a city, Los Angeles, to be a messenger communicating the good news in the midst of his, um, um, of, of his purposes for that, for that city? And if you look at some of the things that took place historically in terms of the power and the work of God, you find that, you know, in, in, uh, in, 19, or in, uh, in about 1906, through the Azusa Street Revival, some of you will, will remember that, you know, the, basically the move of the Holy Spirit in that particular city. In 1949, 
through an evangelical renewal leading to the birth of such groups as Campus Crusade for Christ, originated, you know, from movements that started in places like Los Angeles, 1945. Uh, Campus Crusade and the launching of Billy Graham Crusades as a national ministry in 1972 with the beginning of the Jesus Movement. And yet today, it is a city that is torn by violence and it pumps up pornography into the minds of millions. So do you see how God can have a purpose for a city, but at the same time, the enemy is waiting to pervert that particular purpose? And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. What is the purpose of Joburg? What is the purpose? What was, what, what was in God's mind when this city came to be? And some of the answers to those particular questions are the answers that we can only obtain after seeking God and finding out from him so that we are rightly positioned in terms of praying for this, for this city. So it's all very well for us to be a church, to be a group, to be a church and a group of people who are like, yes, we want to do great exploits for God in this city. But we have to ask ourselves, do we really understand what is the, the historical context of this city? Do we really understand what is the personality of this city? Do we really understand what is the purpose of this city? Why was jo, um, what is the, the purpose of this city in, in the greater scheme of God's, God's plans uh, for, this, for this nation? We have to seek God when we think about Jobek. We have to seek God in prayer and ask, um, you know, this very question. God, what is Johannesburg redemptive gift? And maybe it's something we should begin doing in our, in our cell groups. Could it be that given the vibrant industrial activity that is prevalent in this city. Could it be that God wants the city to express and fulfill its heart, his heart for business and commerce? Could it be that given its diversity in, race, in, in races and cultures, nationalities, could it be that its purpose has something to do with expressing God's heart for the unity of the nations and yet the enemy has sought to pervert, this, uh, to pervert this through attacks such as xenophobia. And maybe this is what we need to unpack if we are going to Im effectively impact our city. So what is the historical context? What is the personality of the city? What is the purpose? Number four, some key facts as well that we need to look at before we can start thinking about or praying effectively for rebuilding on our nation. We need to ask ourselves, when we think about Joburg, what, what sects are here? You know, what, you know, like from a spiritual perspective, what, you know, what, what do people really believe in this, in this city? What sects are here? Which false religions are active? And sometimes as Christians, we kind of like have a general impression, you know, but we have to ask, because unless we know which false religions are present, we're not going to know what to uproot. So we need to ask ourselves, which false religions are active? Are there any temples or dodgy places, you know, where these, 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 these religions find, find their expression or, their, or um, fruition. So what false religions are active in our city? What specific social groups are in the city of Joburg? We need to explore that question and find out so that we know how to manage that in prayer. What, what is the population composition like in our city? What social welfare tendencies are, are observable? Who are the influential people in the city? Because whether we like it or not, you know, it's the influential people who call the shots. And they might just be for us or might just stand in the way of the promises of God. So it is important as part of gathering that um, uh, uh, set of information as Christians and as an effective church, we need to be asking questions like that. Which bodies or persons are in charge of the city's economy. Who really is in charge of Joburg's economy? Do we know that? 
And so those are some of the key questions we need to be asking ourselves as we um, think about rebuilding the walls of this city and before we can become an effective church and ministry in this, in this city. So what does the Bible tell us? How do we know that God is for the city? How do we know that God's heart is really for the cities? And I'm just going to conclude with a couple of scriptures. Isaiah 62. I'm going to read it out and because um, I really believe it expresses God's heart for this city. And I'm going to personify Johannesburg in the, in the context of this chapter. So for Joburg's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Joburg's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. I think that's encouraging. When we begin as Christians to speak those scriptures over our city and say to Joburg, you know what, kings, Gentiles shall come to your glory and you shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will speak, Joburg. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord a royal diadem in the, Lord, in the hand of God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hefziba. And Hefziba simply, simply means my delight is in her. Your land shall be called Beulah, married, married to the Lord. And I think as Christians, as we begin to speak and prophesy these things in our, in our nation and really begin to take control in the spirit, we'll see the fruition of God's purpose in our, in our city. For the Lord delights in you, Joburg, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over your, her bride, so shall your people rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Joburg. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make 